We're going to look at John chapter 18 together. I invite you to open your Bibles there because that's where we will be uh, throughout the remainder of the message time today. So go ahead and open your Bibles. And I'm going to read verses 28 through 40. So let's go ahead and look at verses 28 through 40 of John 18 together. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They did not enter the headquarters themselves. Otherwise, they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and said, what charge do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Pilate told them, you take him and judge him according to your law. It's not legal for us to put anyone to death, the Jews declared. They said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled, indicating what kind of death he was going to die. Then Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you asking this on your own, or have others told you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied. Your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I am a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What is truth, said Pilate. After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no grounds for charging him. You have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They shouted back, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a revolutionary. Let's pray. Jesus, as we consider these words recorded regarding your trial, regarding the unjust trial by which you were accused of wrongdoing, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only man who never committed a single sin, accused of wrongdoing by his own people. As we consider that and the gravity of that, and the relevance of that towards our lives, God, I pray that you would be with us here in this room. Speak to us by your word. Open our hearts, open our minds, and open our eyes. And God, compel us to obey you and to serve you faithfully. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's important in life to know what you can and cannot do. You need to know your limits, Right? There are certain things that I can do as a um, 40-year-old male. There are abilities that I have, but there are certain things that I can't do. And it's important to know the difference. I can't swim across the river without a life jacket on. I can't bend over and tie my shoes if I have jeans on. <laughs> I can't go up a flight of stairs without getting winded. You, you got to know your limits. You need to know what you can and cannot do. Well, today I want to talk about a couple of things we can't do. Specifically, two things we cannot do. But most importantly, I want to talk about the one thing that Jesus did for us. And so that's how the sermon's going to go today. If you have the handout in front of you, 
Let's fill in some blanks. We're going to start with one of the things that we cannot do. One, you cannot know truth apart from Jesus. One of the limits placed on every human being is that you cannot know truth apart from Jesus. Now, let me qualify that a little bit. That's not to say you can't know any truth apart from Jesus. God, by his grace, has revealed certain truths to all of creation. There are certain things that apart from a personal relationship with Jesus, you may know that are true. But you can't know truth without knowing Jesus. You can't know ultimate truth. You, can't, you cannot know the most important aspects of truth apart from knowing Jesus, because he is truth. He, would say, he said earlier in John's gospel, chapter 14, that he is the truth. That's, that's the kind of truth that I'm talking about. To know the truth, to know, to know what this world is ultimately all about, to know why you exist, to know your eternal destiny, these are things you cannot know apart from Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus has this interesting dialogue with Pilate. Pilate says, you are a king then. Verse 37. You say that I am a king, Jesus replied. You remember the setting? Do you remember if you were here the last couple of weeks? The setting here is that Jesus you know, having spent that, that final evening with his disciples and prepared them as best he could for his departure, has, they've now abandoned him. Jesus has been put on trial and they are seeking witnesses to testify about Jesus. And they've, they've brought forth, we, we know this from the other gospels, they've brought forth false witnesses. But Jesus himself, one of his responses when he was before the high priest who, there's two different trials happening, if you haven't caught that. There's the trial before the Jews. That was before the high priest. But then there's this trial before the Roman governor, because that's the ultimate authority. You see here in this text, the Jews did not have authority to crucify Jesus. For that, they needed Roman involvement. They needed Pilate to get involved and to declare that this man deserved to be crucified. And when Jesus is before the high priest, here, I'll just read it to you. He says in verse 20, this won't be on the screen. I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogue and in the temple where all the Jews congregate. And I haven't spoken anything in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who heard what I told them. Look, they know what I said. And of course, we know... From, from last week that this was in the presence of Peter who had already denied Jesus once and who's about to deny him two more times. Jesus himself is inviting witnesses to come and to testify to the truth of who he is, but no one steps forward. And then we have the irony here in, in the later verses of chapter 18 that Pilate himself becomes a bit of a witness. You are a king then, Pilate asked, 
You say that I am a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate says, what is truth? That's a question that all of us ask in some way, shape, or form. What is true? You want to know that. You may, you, you may or may not stop and, and, and contemplate that on some deep philosophical level in your life. You may not. Some people never do. Some, many people never do. Many people never really, really, really stop and, and, and try to understand what is and what is all of this world. But, but all of us in, in some way or another are asking that question. What is truth? What is true? What is what is reality? Jesus says, I was born for this. What was he born for? I have come into the world for this. What has he come into the world for? To testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. You cannot know truth apart from Jesus. It was for that reason that God sent him into the world. As God manages his creation, one of the things that he knows is important is for his created beings, for, for human beings to know what is true to understand the truth. And so he has a plan to send forth his son to make known the truth, to reveal the truth. What is, what should we expect to come of knowing the truth? And we'll talk, I want to define a little bit later what is, what is the truth that, what are the elements of the truth that Jesus came to reveal. You know, because Jesus came to reveal not just truth in a broad sense, but truth in a very specific personal sense. And that specific personal sense is, is that he came to reveal to us our relationship to our creator and how we might be reconciled to him and how we might have eternal life. And those, I would suggest, are the most important truths about life to know. Where you stand before God how to be reconciled to him, and where you will spend eternity. Those are the greatest truths I can think of that you might want to know. And Jesus comes to reveal the answer to all of those. In doing so, though, he, there's, there's an intention, there's a purpose in, in why he comes to reveal the truth. If we go a little bit earlier in John's gospel, back to John chapter 8, Verses 31 and 32, it says, Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. The truth will set you free. Jesus came to set captives free. That's why he came into the world to reveal the truth that sets captives free. Why are we captives? What are we captive to? We know the answer to that from John's gospel and from all of the New Testament is that we are captive to our own sinfulness. 
We are, we, are, we are bound by sin. We are prisoners, enslaved by sin, and Jesus came to set us free. That's why Paul, I love that, that Greg was sharing from one of Paul's letters to Timothy earlier, because I want to do the same in 2 Timothy. Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. He says to Timothy, I solemnly charge you before God, And Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. Verse four, they will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, Timothy, he's writing this too, exercise self-control in everything, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You see, the, what Paul's doing here is he's warning Timothy, in your ministry, you're going to experience people who have turned away from hearing the truth. They've gathered around them many, many people who speak the things they want to hear. People sometimes think foolishly that the word of God is an ancient book that has no relevance to today. I can think of few things more relevant than that statement right there. But according to their own desires, they will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. It's all around us. People don't want the truth. People don't want Jesus. And in in rejecting him, they are rejecting the truth that promises to set us free. Jesus came to testify to the truth so that you might be free. Free from, the, free, free from the penalty and the enslavement of your sins. Free from the guilt and shame of your rebellion against your creator. Free to experience eternal life in him. He came to set us free. But people turn away from the truth. And they pursue people who say what they want to hear. But here is one thing you cannot do. You cannot know truth apart from Jesus. Okay, I said I was going to speak on two things you cannot do and one thing that Jesus does. And I'm actually going to come back to what we cannot do after telling you what Jesus does. The next thing on the handout. Jesus establishes his kingdom... By dying for his people. He establishes his kingdom by dying for his people. That will become super important when we get to the second thing that we cannot do. But but hang in there because there's a reason why we're looking at them in this order. He establishes his kingdom by dying for his people. Let's go back to, we're back in John chapter 18. If we look at verse 29, it says, So Pilate came out to them and said, What charge do you bring against this man? 
They answered him, if this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Pilate told them, you take him and judge him according to your law. It's not legal for us to put anyone to death, the Jews declared. They said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled, indicating the kind of death he was going to die. What they meant by this was they could not crucify him, which was what they wanted to see happen. They wanted to see Jesus crucified. And Jesus himself had, had prophesied that that's how he would die. And so it was necessary in God's plan, it was necessary that Jesus be convicted not only by the Jews, but that Jesus be convicted by the Romans as well. So verse 33, then Pilate went back, Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Let me just pause there. We're going to read the rest of that, that passage in a minute. Let me just pause there. This whole idea of king and, and kingdom with Jesus. You think, think back to what happened literally just at the beginning of the week. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey and everybody was hailing him as the king of the Jews. Here's our Messiah. Here's the one who's come to sit on the throne of Israel. Here's the one who's going to fulfill all of the Old Testament prophecies that we will have a king who sits on the throne forever. They expected him to be king. Jesus' closest disciples expected him to be king. That's why, that's why they were willing to fight for him. That's why G, uh, Peter pulls out his sword in the garden when Jesus is being arrested because this is how kingdoms are established, through fighting and through conquering their enemies and through conquering the ones who currently sit on the throne. In this case, it's the Romans. And so in order for Jesus to become king, they have to beat the Romans. And Peter's ready to do that. As absurd as it is, his you know, we, we pick on Peter for his denials, but in the garden, Peter's faith was strong. Peter's faith was admirable. This guy was willing to fight the Roman Empire because he believed in Jesus' kingdom. And this is, this is the expectations that Jesus has walked into. The Jews, the Jews, meaning the Jewish leaders, many of the common Jewish people were on Jesus' side. But the Jewish leaders did not want Jesus to be king because that meant they would lose their place of authority. The Romans absolutely were not going to allow Jesus to be king. You have in the, in the Roman Empire, because the Roman Empire was so huge, especially for, the, for, for first century politics, the Roman Empire was so huge that there were governors placed over different districts of the Roman Empire. And if those governors could not keep their district under control, if they could not keep the peace and keep the, the people subjected to the Roman Empire, they would be replaced. That's the position that Pilate is in. If he, if he can't stop this one who they're saying is king of the Jews, if he can't stop him, he's going to lose his job, maybe even lose his life. So he goes back into his headquarters. He summons Jesus and he said to him, are you the king of the Jews? If Jesus answers yes, I assume Pilate's going to want to kill him right then and there. 
But Jesus answered this way, are you asking on your own or have others told you about me? He's, he's turned the tables on Pilate. He's, he's interrogating Pilate. I'm not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied, your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus finally gets around to answering Pilate's question. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Jesus came to establish an eternal kingdom. He came to establish not to reestablish a, a, a temporal earthly kingdom for the Jewish people in the land of Palestine. He came to establish a kingdom that will reach all people throughout all of human history and will last forever. He, he came to, to establish a kingdom that could never be defeated. And how does he do this? How does he establish this kingdom? He shows us how different this kingdom is by the manner by which he establishes it. He shows us the, the, the radical distinction between his kingdom and the kingdoms of the earth in laying down his life that this kingdom might be established. This is not how kings begin a kingdom. They begin a kingdom by conquering all of the great kings or all of the great military leaders who have expanded their kingdoms have done, through, done so through victory and conquest in war. Alexander the Great, how did he expand his kingdom? How did he establish and grow his kingdom? Through war, through putting to death other people, not through dying himself, but by putting to death other people. This is how kingdoms are established. Jesus establishes his kingdom by dying for his people. He's, he's establishing a radically different kind of kingdom. It's not a kingdom of this world. It's not a kingdom that is, is, is so petty that it worries about earthly thrones. It's a kingdom that will be established through the death of Jesus and will last forever. That was the one thing you can't do that Jesus does for you. You cannot bring about his kingdom through military conquest on his behalf. Peter tried Jesus had cut it out. You cannot bring about God's kingdom by forcing your will upon other people. That's how the kings of the earth rule. Jesus brings about his kingdom by laying down his life for the people in his kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. 
All right, I said there's two things you cannot do that we want to talk about from this passage. The next one is this. You cannot enter Jesus' kingdom by your own righteousness. You cannot enter Jesus' kingdom by your own righteousness. We see in this passage what happens. Well, we see in this passage a a contrast between Jesus' means of bringing people into his kingdom namely laying down his life for them and people's own efforts in bringing themselves into his kingdom, namely by their, by their righteousness through which we can never enter Jesus's kingdom. Here's what people acting according to their own righteousness looks like. Verse 28 of John 18. This is how our passage started today. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas. That's the Jew. They're leading him from the Jewish trial to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They did not enter the headquarters themselves, otherwise they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. So here's what's going on. First of all, let me just give you a little bit of information on what the governor's headquarters are and all that stuff. So Pilate, being the governor over the land of Palestine, he's, he's the, the Roman governor in charge of keeping the peace, keeping everybody in line, collecting taxes, you know, making sure that the Roman Empire remains the Roman Empire in the land of Palestine. But he didn't normally stay in Jerusalem, even though J- Jerusalem was the key city for the Jewish people in the land of Palestine. That's not where, uh, where uh, Pilate generally stayed. He stayed in a place called Caesarea, which was on the Mediterranean Sea, where Herod had built a beautiful palace. In fact, you can still go there today. The palace is no longer there, uh, but the foundation of the palace is there. And it actually sticks out into the Mediterranean Sea because Herod was known for his elaborate building projects. And so he actually had, you know, you know those man-made islands in, in uh, Dubai where they've, they've actually literally built islands out in the sea? That's kind of what Herod did, except it wasn't an island. It just stuck out from the land. He had all of this dirt and rock and everything uh, carried out into the ocean or out into the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, and then he built a palace on top of it, and it was beautiful. And so that's where Pilate normally hung out. That was his that was his vacation home. That's where he did his that's where he did his governing from. But during these big feasts, when there was a lot going on in Jerusalem, he would come to Jerusalem and just make sure everything you know stayed cool. And so he had he had a, a home in Jerusalem, and that was the governor's headquarters. Well, the Jews won't go into the governor's headquarters because it's the week of Passover and they've been celebrating the Passover all week. And so they have to keep themselves ceremonially clean. And by Jewish law, if they were to enter into, whether by Jewish law or by the additions to the Jewish law, I'm not entirely sure, um, but by their Jewish customs, they were not allowed to enter into the home of a non-Jewish person or they would become ceremonially defiled and not able to celebrate the Passover. If they went into somebody's house, they weren't allowed to eat the Passover and they kept that law. The insane thing about that is not that they cared so much about the law because that's a good thing. The insane thing about that is that they cared about keeping this minute detail of the law, not defiling themselves by going into the governor's headquarters, 
At the same time, they're seeking the crucifixion of the Son of God. Do you see the insane contrast between those two things? In that moment, which do you think was more important to God? That they not go into the governor's house or that they stop trying to kill his son? This is the insanity that all of us fall into when we try to enter into Jesus' kingdom by our own righteousness. We do the same exact thing. We fail to understand this huge gap between our righteousness and the righteousness which God requires. We fail to, we, we think, we think, we're, we're, so, we're so insane in our view of ourselves and of God that we think that if we just do some nice things, if I just go to church on Sunday, if I just put a little bit of money in the offering, or if I just stick up for somebody, you know, when somebody else is giving, we think if we do this tiny little minute act of human righteousness, that that somehow qualifies us to stand before the righteousness of an infinitely holy God. That's insanity. That's crazy. They go on to show how insane their acts of human righteousness are in the end of our passage. It says in verse 38, after he had said this, this is when Pilate says, I don't find any reason to convict this man. After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them. So, so Pilate is going back and forth. They're outside of his headquarters. He's taken Jesus inside his headquarters to, to in, in sort of interrogate him and to find out what's going on. And he has to go back out now to address the Jews that are gathered outside of his headquarters. He says to them, I find no grounds for charging him. You have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at the Passover. So, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, Jesus? They shouted back, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a revolutionary, not in a good way. It's an interesting way uh, that the CSB translates that. And I think it's an attempt. A lot of, a lot of um, other translations will say a robber a thief, a criminal. Um, some say an insurrectionist, and there's a lot going on. I don't know that, that we can know definitively. I'm not saying we can't know definitively because maybe somebody more intelligent than I would make an argument that we can. I don't know that we know definitively exactly what Barabbas was involved in, but the idea seems to be that he was a rebel against the Roman Empire that he wanted to overthrow the current kingdom. And so in this, he becomes a, a, a perfect illustration of who we are. Sinful and in rebellion against the king. The reason... The reason I think that John points out to us in this passage, Jesus' intention of coming to the earth 
to testify to the truth is because he's hoping we will recall earlier in his gospel when Jesus taught that the truth will set you free and that we'll see these things come together in the exchange of Jesus's life for Barabbas's life. The only way for Jesus to set Barabbas free, this convicted criminal, this enemy to the throne, this insurrectionist against the empire that exists, the only way for Jesus to set Barabbas free, because he's on death row. In fact, I mean, death row then wasn't like death row now. Death row now can last decades. Death row, like they convicted you, next opportunity they had, they were gonna kill you. It might've been that same day, that might've been Barabbas's day to die. And Jesus steps in. The only way for him to set Barabbas free is for Jesus himself to die. And if I'm correct in understanding that John wants us to see ourselves in Barabbas, and I know this to be true from elsewhere in scripture, the only way for Jesus to set you and I free is for him to die in our place. You cannot enter into Jesus' kingdom by your own righteousness. In fact, Jesus would say through the prophet Isaiah to the Jewish people that their acts of righteousness have become before him as filthy rags. And I think we have a perfect illustration of that here. Because in a, in a different context, the Jewish, the Jews' unwillingness to defile themselves for the Passover by entering into the governor's quarters would be admirable. In a different context, they would have done the right thing. But what happens to what happened to them and what always happens to us just the same is that in, in trying to to enter into Jesus' kingdom by our own righteousness, we inevitably offend him deeply. To think that we can be good enough, to think that we can do enough good to deserve eternal life with Jesus in his kingdom is insane. We don't deserve it. We cannot earn it. We cannot be that good. And so in pretending that we can, what we do is we diminish the value of his kingdom. We diminish the value of of the life that he came to give. You cannot enter into Jesus' kingdom by your own righteousness. And then lastly, you'll see on the handout is this. In Jesus' kingdom, this is just kind of a summary of what I'm trying to say. In Jesus' kingdom, the king died to set the criminals free. To know the truth and to be set free by it is to place your faith in Jesus' righteousness, not your own righteousness, and to receive his invitation into his kingdom. 
the invitation that was bought for you by his blood, the invitation that was bought for you by him laying his life down, which we'll look at over the next couple of weeks as we move forward in John's gospel. Jesus turns sinners, he turns rebels, he, he, he turns insurrectionists into saints and dwells with them forever. That's what he does. He turns sinners into saints and he opens his kingdom so that we can live with him forever. In Jesus' kingdom, the king died to set the criminals free. So I want to ask you the question, are you free? Has the truth made you free? Have you been set free by what Jesus has done for you? You cannot free yourself You're digging your hole deeper in trying to do so. But the good news of the gospel is is that the king died in your place.